Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So we're going to talk about uh, clear comprehension this evening, the, the teaching that comes out of the Buddha's teaching on mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta. Um, you probably are aware that all of the mindfulness practices um, are based on this discourse. It's found in the Maji Manakaya collection, the middle length discourses. It's uh, number 10 in the Maji Manakaya, the Satipatthana Sutta. And um, this is how it starts. Uh, oh, and I want to uh, say that I'm using as the text for this talk, a wonderful book. I, I love this book um, on the Satipatthana Sutta. There's a few great books on the Satipatthana Sutta. One of them is by Venerable Analio called Satipatthana. Uh, another, um, Joseph's big book on mindfulness, which is an explication of Analio's book. But this is an, a book that's been around for a long time that really, one of the books that hooked me on practice many years ago, called The Heart of Buddhist Meditation by Nyanapanaka Tara. Nyanapanaka uh, was a German monk, a brilliant scholar, and actually he was a mentor for Bhikkhu Bodhi, who did all the translations of the uh, the Pali Canon, who was a mentor for Analio. So there's a lineage here, Yanaponika and uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi and Analio. And Yanaponika was the um, head of the, um, uh, what is it, Buddhist, Jesus. I'm blanking out, uh, the Buddhist uh, text society. I'm, it's, it's not that from Sri Lanka, uh, that put all the, um, uh, all the teachings of the Buddha into, um, uh, uh, translated them in various languages. And uh, really, um, the, the uh, what can I say, the container for how the Pali Canon uh, became um, uh, codified in modern times. And I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Nyanapanika Tara in uh, 1982 when I visited Sri Lanka. Uh, and it was like, it was one of the highlights of my trip. Anyway, in this book, The Heart of Buddhist Meditation, he, it's an exposition of the Satipatthana Sutta. And he gives the sutta and then he explains it. And this is where this teaching on clear comprehension is uh, really elucidated. So I'll just read the beginning of the sutta in Yanaponika's version. He says, um, Thus have I heard, at one time the Blessed One was living among the Kurus at Kama Sadama, a market town of the Kuru people. And there the Blessed One addressed the monks thus, monks or practitioners, bhikkhus, they replied, Venerable Sir, 
And then he spoke as follows. This is the sole way. Sometimes it's been translated. This is the most direct way. Or um, Thich Nhat Hanh calls it, um, translates it. This is the most wonderful way. For the purification of beings, for the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, for the destroying of pain and grief, for reaching the right path, for the realization of nibbana, of complete awakening, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. And here is the beginning of this where we hear about clear comprehension. What are the four? Herein, a practitioner dwells practicing body contemplation on the body, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful, having overcome covetousness and grief concerning the world. The practitioner dwells practicing feelings contemplation on feelings, that's pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, Vedana, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful, having overcome covetousness and grief concerning the world. The practitioner dwells practicing mind contemplation on the mind, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful, having overcome covetousness and grief concerning the world. The practitioner dwells practicing mind object contemplation on mind objects. This is also called mindfulness of the of the Dharma. Ardent, clearly comprehending and mindful, having overcome covetousness and grief concerning the world. And then he goes on to um, elucidate each of those four foundations. But with each one, he has this encouragement to be ardent, to be really diligent and wholehearted in your practice, to clear, clearly comprehend and be mindful. In the teachings, it's called sati sampajanya. Sati is a word that means mindfulness. And sampajanya is translated as clearly comprehending or clear comprehension. So first to realize that mindfulness, if you just think of mindfulness as knowing with bare attention what is happening, I mean, that's great to know the breath you're breathing in and you're breathing out, to know here's a sound, to know here's a sensation, to know here's a mood, to know what's actually here. But in addition to simple bare attention, this idea of sampajanya, clear comprehension, he adds, because clearly comprehending is seeing, seeing what's here right in the moment in a, a bigger context where you're seeing um, with, some, um, with some qualities of wisdom along with the bare noticing of experience. So I'll go through the four 
of these clear comprehensions. The first one is called clear comprehension of purpose. Sataka Sampajanya. And what this means, clear comprehension of purpose, is really knowing why you're practicing, knowing why you're doing what you're doing. This, it's getting in touch with your inspiration, your aspiration, your purpose for practice, knowing why you're doing this practice is so important because at times it can see seem so dry. Oh, breathing in, breathing out. Is that all there is? You know, breathing in, breathing out. Didn't we just have one a moment ago? Breathing in, breathing out. You know, what's what's the point of simply knowing that you're breathing in, breathing out? If you are clear as to your purpose for practicing, it gives juice, it gives inspiration, it gives a whole other dimension as to um, why you're putting in the energy to do this. One of the five faculties uh, spiritual faculties, we've talked about this before, is sadha, faith, or trust, or conviction, where you come into the practice with a heartful quality, not just seeing clearly, but you put your heart into it. And we have all been inspired in some way to want to practice why would you do this otherwise if there wasn't something that motivated you to practice, whether it's hearing a, a Dharma talk or a friend coming back from a retreat or reading a book that lit a light under you and said, I want to do that. Why do you want to do it? When you get clear, not only clear at one point, but have a vision of why you're doing it and have a clear comprehension of your purpose for meditating, then you're really motivated to show up for your life. Here's a little bit from, uh, from Yanapanaka, where he says, it's so easy to get lost and confused as much as we want to pay attention, we can make mistakes. And he says, by strengthening the habit to stop and think and reflect on why you're doing what you're doing, it gives to clear comprehension of purpose an increased chance of coming into clarity. And by its presentation of undistorted facts, it provides for clear comprehension, the reliable material for making decisions when you get really clear. Now he says, it may happen and cause deep regrets afterwards that a high ideal or an important purpose that was forgotten or temporarily pushed aside for the sake of a passing whim or fancy 
becomes, before being taken up again, completely unattainable owing to a changed external situation caused by oneself through just these whims and fancies. That is, you might forget and blow it and regret and say, hmm, what was I thinking? But he says, the ideal or purpose, mm, there will be less regrets for lost opportunities if one keeps cultivating this clear comprehension of purpose until it becomes deeply ingrained in one's nature. I know for my own practice, I've shared this before, when I first heard the teachings and um, heard uh, Joseph Goldstein in 1974 say, oh, it's really possible to not be lost in your neurotic thoughts. Wow, that had never occurred to me before as a possibility. And I said, I'm going for it. At that time, it was just, oh, let me get out of this tangle in my mind. But that purpose can change over time. And when I got into the practice, at some point is, oh, I want to, uh, I want to become enlightened. That was a big motivation for me for a while. I'm going to do it. They said I can do it and I'm going to do it. And it really lit a fire underneath me until I realized at some point, oh, I can't watch myself get enlightened. That was, that was a, a futile uh, exercise. Uh, but then it was, oh, I want to be as, as loving as I can. And that became a real motivator for me, just to learn to love well and to notice when my heart is getting caught or clenched. And at some point, it's become, it's not that those haven't still been motivators, but at some point is just, I'm going to face in the right direction. However I might stray, I have a commitment to keep on facing in the direction of more, uh, of more awareness and love. So it's not that you get the right one. It can change over time. Now, I want to ask you just for a few moments to reflect inside and ask, why are you practicing? You might just close your eyes. And again, there's no right answer in this. Why are you practicing? What's your motivation that really speaks to you these days? that gets you to sit on the cushion or in the chair. Maybe it's changed over time. That's okay. What is it for you right now? If you can get in touch with it, it can be your North Star that's continually moving you in the direction you want to go. That's how it works. The clear comprehension of purpose holds your whole practice.
so, I invite you uh, to put in the chat box right now. We can all just witness there's no right or wrong in this. What is your current clear comprehension of purpose, satika sampajanya, that moves you to practice? And we can just witness each other's motivation. My path to peace. Thank you, Larry. Come on, put it in. We can inspire each other this way to create love for myself and others and inner peace, bringing more love in my life, helping others have more love in their lives, to live gently. Come on, put it in. Here's your chance to be seen. Escape stimulation, equanimity, to ease suffering, to learn to be present to oneself and others. Compassion plus clarity, to learn to love all things I encounter, love myself and others more. This is really important. As you get in touch with that, and if you can keep this in mind, every time you practice, when you sit, you might just remember why you're doing what you're doing. And when you blow it, when you forget, just remember this is what's really speaking to you from your heart. Your clear comprehension of purpose. Mm. So this is the first one. The second clear comprehension is called clear comprehension of suitability. Suitability. Sapaya Sampajanya. And what that means is to really see the context in which you are moving through the world. It's not always appropriate, you know, uh, if you're, if you're doing, um, if you've done a retreat in, at Spirit Rock and you've done the, the slow walking meditation and it can be so juicy. Oh, lifting, moving, placing, you can learn so much. That's not the way you want to move through the world. As I, as I say, living here in Berkeley, the only place that I, that I know that you could fit right in is on Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley, where, you know, there's all kinds of characters there going very slow or whatever. Okay. But for most of us walking normally when you're outside and just being around um, other people, you want to know the context, even on a retreat. If you're, if you're um, sitting on a retreat and you go through the food line and you're going really slowly, that's not the time to go super slow. Okay. You want to know the appropriate, the suitable way to move through your life as you're, as you're doing your practice. Mm. And sometimes that might mean 
going against what the usual rules might be. And I'm thinking of the story of, uh, of two Zen monks. You might be familiar with this story uh, in, in Japan. Very proper monks, and they see a, a, a woman in, dressed in her kimono, a beautiful kimono, and there she is at the edge of a, of a, a little stream, a muddy stream. Um, and she wants to get to the other side and she's, she looks very, uh, confused or what to do. And one monk picks her up and brings her to the other side and puts her down. And then the two monks go walking, continuing on their way. And the other monk can't believe what that first monk did. And after about an hour more of walking, the monk, the second monk turns to the first one and says, how could you do that? We're not even supposed to touch women. You picked her up and carried her to the other side. And the first monk says, oh, I put her down back at the stream. You're still carrying, are you still carrying her? Because that was the appropriate action in, in that moment to do what was called for in the moment. So I want to offer you to reflect on this in your own life. Not that there are times that you should break a precept, but there are times for you to know your environment whether it's um, speaking something that needs to be said or not speaking something because it's not appropriate to say it. Or as you go through your work or you go through your um, relationships, how can you keep your practice going in a way that honors the context that you're around. So maybe, uh, again, I'll invite you to just go inside and close your eyes. <clears throat> and you might think of some situations that, um, that are challenging for you, that you might easily get lost in habits of reaction. Mm -hmm. What situation for you can you bring your practice into that is suitable for the circumstance, whether it's in communication or actions how can you keep your practice going that honors the context? Clearly comprehending the environment that you're in while keeping up your practice, but modifying it for the circumstance. Mm 
Mm -hmm. I'm just remembering a, a story that Jack Cornfield tells around this, where he um, uh, he's leaving the monastery after being a monk for uh, a number of years, and he asks Ajahn Chah uh, any advice he has about going back to the States and, and uh, perhaps sharing the Dharma. And, uh, and Ajahn Chah thinks for a moment and he says, um, yeah, here's one piece of advice. You might call it Christianity. Because that might be a more suitable way in those days. The Buddha Dharma was not, there weren't mindfulness retreats and mindfulness books. He said, if you're going to go back there, just give it a different package so that people can relate to it. Suitability, clear comprehension of suitability of the environment. Okay, and now the third. Clear comprehension on, in the domain of meditation. Gochara Sampajanya. And what this means is, as best you can, to keep your practice going in whatever environment you find yourself in. Find ways to keep your practice going. Now, this is slightly different than suitability is realizing the context. Oh, what's appropriate? What is... Um, what is going to be um, um, skillful in this environment as far as relating to others. In this one, the domain of meditation, how can I keep my practice going? That is not abandoning your meditation or your practice in whatever you're doing, whether it's... Um, when you tend to get confused or lost, or how can you, um, whether it's opening to gratitude, if you're finding yourself getting despairing, or practicing letting go when you're finding yourself caught up in attachment, or if you're having a whole lot of self-judgment, ah, What's called for? Oh, self-compassion, as Eve has been teaching recently, metta for self. Or if you're about to do something that's not such skillful behavior, oh, remembering sila, remembering um, living with integrity. If you're going through a really hard time, Ah, remembering about opening to dukkha, opening to my suffering in a very skillful way. So this is in learning to keep your practice going in some way throughout whatever experience you are finding yourself in. Okay. And what this what I, the way I work with this in my own life, 
is in my better moments, seeing where I tend to get caught or I tend to get lost and then making it a bit of a practice challenge with myself. So rather than, you know, oh, what's the point? I'm never going to get over this one or through this one. Uh, this is my forward edge of practice. Okay. This is the place that I tend to lose it most easily. For instance, I can remember at some point in my life, there was uh, somebody who was um, not easy for me, but who was very much in my life. And when I would be around this person, I would see how I could get triggered by them. Okay, you got the picture? Maybe you can relate. I don't know. But if, if you can, just think of somebody who tends to trip you up. Okay. And removing the blame, oh, it's their fault or it's my fault. It's just that's what happens in the interaction. For me, when I was trying to work through this, which I thankfully did eventually, and uh, we uh, had a really good relationship, um, it took a while, I just made a little game with myself. Okay, I know this person is here as my teacher in patience and compassion and non-aversion, non-reaction. Okay, great. I can learn so much being around this person for a limited amount of time. I knew that what my capacity was, was not, okay, we'll hang out for eight hours. No, but for a limited amount of time, you know, or if I'd be visiting for a few days instead of a week, okay. That was my, I knew that was my limit, but it may, it turned the whole thing into a game. Okay, here's my practice challenge. How can I keep it going? How can I learn more about patience and non-reactivity and opening my heart and loving and seeing how I get caught? And it works with just a little turn of intention instead of frustration, desperation, or thinking they're the problem. Oh, okay, here's my practice. Great, my forward edge of practice. Okay, so let's just play around with this for yourself. And again, there's many ways that you can use this in the domain of meditation uh, element, but this is one that occurs to me. When do you uh, tend to get, what's your forward edge of practice, the circumstance that really challenges you? Okay, again, you might close your eyes. Just go inside. And see in your wisest moments, in your wisest 
most understanding, compassionately understanding moments. What practice challenge can you give yourself? Let's see if I can do it this way. Just for the fun of it, nobody has to know. And there's no failing this either because uh, otherwise that just becomes self-recrimination. But you're just challenging yourself. How can I keep my practice going even in that situation or situations where I tend to lose it? And if something comes to mind, just envision yourself acting in the most skillful way, the wisest part of you coming out and get a sense of how that might feel. And if you do, if you can envision that, just plant the seed. This is going to be forward edge of my practice. I'm going to keep my practice going even here, especially here. And just make that little mm, challenge or promise to yourself. Okay, and now for how are we doing? Now for the fourth clear comprehension. We've gone through clear comprehension of purpose, clear comprehension of suitability, environment, clear comprehension in the domain of meditation, how to keep your practice going even in the challenging circumstances. And then the fourth clear comprehension, clearly comprehending, is clear comprehension of reality. Asamoha Sampajanya. Moha is a word that means delusion, like greed, hatred, and delusion. Moha is delusion. Asamoha, non-delusion, clearly comprehending in a way that uh, sees clearly, and particularly sees clearly the three characteristics of existence that are liberating perspectives. That is seeing impermanence. Everything passes. Coming and going, all thoughts, all sensations, all moods, everything, all experience coming and going to really see clearly impermanence, which is what the Buddha said, if you're going to have one ongoing reflection, make it impermanence, anicca. Clearly comprehending dukkha, the unreliability of experience, the unsatisfactoriness of experience, the trying to grasp onto that which is changing, being a setup for suffering, and ultimately 
seeing through the selfless nature of experience, anatta, seeing that you and everyone around you is simply an expression of life in these various forms, not separate, all just life knowing itself through these various forms. And this one, whether you can tune into the selfless nature or the suffering in grasping or simply an impermanence, any one of those is a doorway to awakening. And so the Buddha says, if you, as you're bringing mindfulness to the moment, if you can remember anicca, change, ungraspability, and the selfless nature of, of, of reality, this is the deep, clearly comprehending clearly comprehension, clear comprehension of reality. You might for a moment, uh, one last time, go inside and see which of these are you seeing these days? Are you noticing how things are changing? Really noticing, not just knowing it as a concept, but keeping that in your consciousness. Are you noticing how when you try to hold on to experience or you get attached, how it's simply creating more suffering? Have you noticed that? Not just know it as an idea, but really in your bones more and more getting that wise understanding. Do you ever tune into the selfless nature of reality? That's a bit deeper one and hard, but maybe if you've gotten a glimpse of it, uh, keep on revisiting it. This is reality. So if any one of those speaks to you, um, I encourage you to practice with them this week. Um, if nothing else, having your clear comprehension of purpose in mind will keep you facing in a healthy direction. But you might just keep in mind those others, the suitability of, the, of your environment, or your forward edge in practice where you tend to get lost so that you're keeping your meditation practice going even in those, those places, those situations, and that clear comprehension of reality of anicca, dukkha, and anatta. Okay, so we'll stop here and see if there's any questions or comments or observations uh, Anything that you want to share, we can take some time for discussion. You can just 
unmute yourself or uh, I see oh Zach great you raised your hand hi Zach hi there um so one forward edge that I'm sort of struggling with these days is um you know fatigue um being very tired mm. um and um not so much with meditation itself, but more sort of mindfulness just throughout the day. And um, when I'm when I'm feeling really tired, my mind just goes on autopilot and falls back into not so great patterns of thought. Um, and I was just thinking that's not something that I can say you know, unlike a person who might be difficult in my life, I can't say, well, I'll spend a couple hours learning from this and then go away. It's just like, it's a persistent thing in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that, I guess. Okay. So, um, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. There are sometimes circumstances that are, you can't fix. Uh, it's just the way it is, and I know that your your body, uh, you know, gives you some challenges, and uh, and I know uh, I've I've just been really uh, appreciating and respecting how your your, your practices continue to deepen even in spite of those. Um, so, let me ask you: in how in your wisest moments can you relate to that tiredness? That this is the way this body is. How do you, how do you, yeah, make it part of your practice anyway? Well, um, you know, sometimes it's um, a matter of just letting go and just saying now it's not the best time to be practicing and I just need to be supportive of what my body wants or needs. Um, but as I said, that can sometimes lead to, um, my mind going places that are not not the greatest places um and sometimes i just try and access you know i try and touch on mindfulness very briefly um in the capacity that i can mm -hmm. um yeah well here here's one one thing that occurs to me is particularly that last one, as far as um, the clear comprehension of reality. And it's about relating to your body. You know, if you really, um, as you as you understand the selfless nature of reality, there can perhaps be a different relationship uh, and maybe you're already having this, but I, I I can imagine that maybe sometimes you get frustrated with yourself. You know, yeah. is that that happen? Yeah. Okay. And when you're frustrated with yourself, or frustrated that your body isn't behaving the way you would like it to, in some ways you are taking personally what is not yours to take personally your body is just following its own laws 
I'm, and I'm not, you're not alone in this. You've got about yeah. you know, 99% of humanity that's, uh, that's keeping you company here. But particularly, I, I have found it so, um, just so uh, um, illuminating to see when my body doesn't act the way I wish it would, blaming myself or blaming my body is is really missing the point that my body's trying to do the best it can to serve me. How can I bring love and compassion to it and patience with it and gratitude for it, for doing the best it can and not adding that reaction of frustration and anger or judgment or whatever. So your attitude towards it is huge. And I would just really encourage you, and I know you've gotten glimpses of this, and I really want to keep on encouraging you. This is how this can be your doorway to anatta, to not identify with your body just doing its thing. And to send it love and compassion as, as Eve's been talking about recently instead because that's going to be the most healing thing anyway. So why not go for it? Sounds great. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks. What else? I'll remove the spotlight here. Let's see. Oh, it's, uh, oh, it's almost, almost time. Uh, and anyone has anything burning on their, on their mind before we, we go and ask Eve to close with a little dedication. Going once, twice. Okay. Well, I hope that uh, that this topic has um, touched something of value for you and uh, and hold your practice in in this context. So, Eve. May every living being, our minds as one and radiant, Share the fruits of peace with hearts of goodness, luminous and bright. If people hear and see how hands and hearts can find in giving unity, may our minds awake to great compassion with find reward. May all who sorrow leave our grief and pain. May this boundless light meet the darkness of our sacred night. 
Because our hearts are one This world of pain turns into paradise May all become compassionate and wise May all become compassionate and Thanks so much, Eve and everyone, and uh, may our coming here together support you in your practice, and may you share it uh, for the benefit of all beings everywhere and this beautiful planet that needs our love. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.